0: Good afternoon.
1: Hey everybody.
0: He still has the cough.
1: <laughs> yeah, I sound worse than I feel, but we're probably gonna go only gonna go to like four o'clock today, if I can get that far. <laughs> <coughs> My voice will hold out. I don't think I'm gonna frighten people too much.
0: The good if thing is he cost, doesn't cough feel now as bad as yeah. he sounds. Yeah. And he does but. go for periods where it, there's no coughing at all, but I think that's when you're not talking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I think it is probably does work, something like something that.
0: Something like that. But we're so glad y'all are here today on this pretty Monday afternoon.
1: Yes, we are, as we resume our journey through the Gospel of Mark.
0: We sure do. We sure do.
1: So, what's new, Patty?
0: I have been working a lot this morning on just trying to get two free airline tickets with points. And let me tell you, it is not, not a feat for the... The, faint meek, part. the meek or the faint of heart. Oh my goodness. You earn those points, but boy, do they make you suffer to try to get them. It's crazy. It's it crazy. Is. It's
1: very complicated.
0: So, uh, But and you know what? I think I scored.
1: I think the airline is like in the movie Ghost, when Whoopi Goldberg has the check. Yes. She's supposed to give to the nuns, and she just doesn't want to let go. That's the airlines and the miles. We know, no, no. I know we said you can use these, but really, no, <laughs> no, no. No, no we can't. <laughs> so, so, it's I an, don't all going to
0: be good. We're, yes, we're, we're, we're
1: going to have fun. We're going to go probably uh, to Norway Yes, this summer.
0: That's that's at least what we have.
1: That's <laughs> we the have idea. <laughs> we, we hope got we have flights.
0: We got tickets to Copenhagen. And that's what. We we've done a cruise uh, back in twenty nineteen on the, actually the same ship and it was so beautiful and the nicest part of it was it was so darn hot here and it was, you know, fifties, sixties, maybe a seventy right in Norway. So that was really lovely and um Scott who really appreciates cool weather. I do. <laughs> absolutely loved it. So um anyway, we're hoping. We're hope we're hoping all the points. We're working on it. Working. We'll keep
1: you posted. <laughs>
0: Now, if we weren't trying to be so cheap, (laughs) we could have just done this.
1: Airfares have gone crazy. Oh,
0: it's ridiculous. It's crazy. It really 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 has.
1: They are just, wow, are they up this summer? Mm. Man. So, anyway, well, enough of all that stuff. So, I think we're good. Would you open us up with prayer today? So, I have to talk just to save a few words.
0: Please join me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day. For all these wonderful people who are joined together today to study your word, study the gospel of Mark. We pray, God, that today you will help open our eyes to things that we have never seen before. And as I heard Scott Anderson pray yesterday, that we would all kind of have a God moment. And I just, I pray for that today, Lord, as Scott is teaching. I pray, God, that you'll help his voice hold out for the next hour. And I pray, God, that you would just be there walking through this with him as he um, as He wants to teach us today what Mark has to say. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All righty. All righty. I'm going around the desk.
1: Very good. So let's see. To
0: the producer's booth.
1: Yes, the producer's booth. Because you are the producer.
0: Except this is not a booth.
1: <laughs> so if my voice is too hard to listen to, just let me know. I can't fix it, but I don't know. what I would. We could all go play in the sun. But anyway, I'm going to press on.
0: Yeah, we lost half the people. I don't know what happened. Maybe we had a little
1: No, nope, No, nope, mine doesn't, honey. Oh, Mine's okay. got them back and more. Okay. Very good. All right. So here's where I want to start today. I want to start at Matthew... F. <laughs> Mark <laughs> Mark 6, verse 12. And it's where we ended last week. And Jesus had sent out the disciples to carry on his work of healing and preaching and spreading the good news. And he had sent them out in pairs. Remember, we talked about that. How he sent them out two by two by two. So, <clears throat> this is what I meant when I said Jesus wanted time in his ministry to be able to do this and so that's why he's been trying to keep as much of a control over his ministry as possible and telling people well you know don't go tell people what happened and that's I think that's the most straightforward explanation for that but you will see today that he's having he's having trouble keeping that in keeping control of that. So look at verse 12. They went out and preached that people should repent. Repent means to turn around and head in a new direction. It means to change your life. It means to change your loyalty. It means to change, change, change. And um, it was not a church word at the time. It was a word that would be used in various contexts like... um, Uh, you know, repent of following this particular political faction and come to our political faction. So you just, you would change your, today what would we do? We change political parties. (coughs) It wasn't quite that way then, but that's what the word means. And so they are to repent and embrace Jesus' way. And the disciples drove out many demons and they anointed many sick people with oil and they healed them. So the healing, miracle-dooming, enacting of the kingdom ministry of Jesus is carried on by the disciples as it will be carried on in the book of Acts. When the disciples are the apostles, um, Peter brings a woman back from the dead, like Lazarus. Okay? Her name is Tabitha. So, so Jesus is empowering these people to do as he has done. Now, they can't, they can't be Jesus but he's given them power to, to carry this, this announcement of the good news, which is what this is really all about, that God is doing God's big thing, to carry it out to more and more people. Well, verse 14, great, but King Herod heard about this, for Jesus's name had become well known. King Herod. So, let's talk about Herod. It's confusing because there are two prominent Herods um, in the Bible. One is Herod the Great, who died about 4 BC, died shortly after Jesus was born. That is the Herod who orders the murder of the infant boys in Bethlehem. He had been a client king, of Rome for almost 40 years. In his closing years he had descended into a lot of madness, um, a lot of paranoia. He murdered one wife and two sons at least. Um, But he and his, I guess his most prominent legacy, maybe we call it that, was his building of things. He built or began the construction of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, um, the rebuilding of the Temple there. He built Caesarea Maritima out on the coast. He built Masada, the, the palace and fortress on top of that plateau at Masada. He built Herodium, possibly as like a tomb for himself. So he... You know, the reason the great is attached to his name is really because of his architectural accomplishments, his building accomplishments. Okay? Hey,
0: Susan Faulkner said you need a shot of whiskey and lemon.
1: Well, I don't know about the lemon part, but the whiskey (laughs) part sounds good. Yeah. I remember in college one time I had, I came down with this cold. And I, I went to college in a, in a dry parish in Louisiana. I went to Tech back in the, you know, uh, late 60s, early 70s, and Ruston was dry. But guys would keep little bottles of whiskey up in, up in the ceiling, the kind of ceiling you could push up, push the tile up and get things out. You could hide things up there. So I wasn't feeling too well. It felt a cold coming on, and this one guy says, well, here, take a shot of this. I was not a whiskey drinker, but it was a whiskey called Southern Comfort. So I tried it. I kind of liked it. And here's my story. I was healed the next morning. <laughs> so maybe I'll maybe I'll try that, Susan. Okay. So now here so so Herod the Great is you know the one that's most prominent. He dies in four BC and the question is what will happen? to his kingdom, which is actually quite extensive as you're going to see on a map I have in just a second. It's actually quite extensive. Several things were were considered, but in the end it was divided amongst his three sons. So I'm going to pull up a map after I tell you that next week we will not have class because next Monday is Memorial Day. That should come as no surprise. You know, we know to class on Memorial Day. But, so no class next week. But then the week after that, we'll be back. And I'll be fresh. I'll be healed by then. Okay. So, this is the map. Um, A lot of Greek city names here. So, don't concern yourselves. Only look at the colors. So, the yellow area was given to his son... Archelaus. The pinkish purplish part was given to his son Antipas. He is more he is the one Jesus is taken to in the Gospels. As we'll see, he is the one who gets John the Baptist's head. That's Antipas. He was given Galilee. and and some area down here called the Perea. Then the um, greenish part was given to Philip. All right? Now, what happens is that Archelaus proves to be extraordinarily incompetent. Extraordinarily incompetent. So much so that he is deposed by the Romans, and I don't really know what happens to him. They may have just shipped him off into retirement. I'm not sure. But he is deposed, and the Romans send in a governor in 6 AD, and that begins this period of a Roman governor over Judea and Jerusalem, and the one that you know is Pontius Pilate. Okay, But we're at the point in Mark's Gospel now where the Herod we're going to talk to or hear about, is Herod Antipas. And he has Galilee, which is our principal focus. Is he independent of Rome? No, 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 of course not. These are are client kings. They're there, put, they're allowed to be in place by Rome because Rome wants to keep the peace and keep the people reasonably happy. So they figure a way to do that is to have a local king in place. So what does that king actually do? Not much. not much parties. <laughs> he parties a lot. Um, usually when Herod Antipas is depicted in movies or shows or films, it, it's kind of a kind of a ne'er do well drunkard type, you know, because it's really Rome that's running the show. But you know, he is he is still Herod. Rome did not give him the title of king. It was only himself. And some of the Jews who referred to him that way uh, for Rome, nah, 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 king. After the death of King Herod, they they had had enough of these local kings, which is something to keep in mind. Because what do the Romans put over on the sign over Jesus' head as they prepare to crucify him?
0: King of the Jews.
1: The king of the Jews, you see? Right, exactly. There was only one king of anybody and that was Caesar. Mm-hmm. So far as Rome was concerned. Alright. So, enough about Antipas. So let's go back to verse 14 in Mark 6.
0: I'll put
1: that in there for everybody. Okay. Now King Herod heard about all the activity, right? Because the disciples are going out and... And Jesus' name had become well known, and some were saying, Well, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. And others said, He is Elijah. So these questions would circulate, of course. You know, they strike us as funny because we know so much about who everybody is. We see him in television. Um, radio, we can look people up in the phone book, we meet people at church, we, you know, there's all kinds of people that we know the identity of. Well, that's not really the way it was in the ancient world. Most people never went very far from their own village. There weren't great, there are no pictures or photos circulated. I mean, Consider this most people in the ancient world only had a kind of a vague idea of what they themselves actually looked like cuz the closest they could get to mirrors would be still water I've tried that it's not very acceptable or a piece of polished metal they had they didn't have mirrors as you and I have mirrors um so they had they had vague notions of of who of what they look like. Much, much more vague than we have today. So people are wondering, well, who is this Jesus guy we're hearing of? Well, we haven't met him, but who is he? Well, there was this real popular guy going around plunging people in the river named John. Perhaps it's him. Perhaps he's been raised from the dead. And now you're wondering, well, if you're reading Mark at this point, Whoa, 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 whoa. When did John the Baptist die? When was he killed? I missed that. No, you didn't miss that. But now we're looking back and they're wondering if John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. Right? With a touch of irony there, right? Because Jesus will be. Jesus will be. So... Some people said he's Elijah because Malachi had brought this prophecy about Elijah. And other people said, well, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. They had prophets, but everybody wanted a prophet, the real what? Like the genuine type. You might hear people like talk about like, you know, we'd love to have a, you know, a statesman like of old, you know, rather than hacky politicians that have always been around. So, <clears throat> that, that's kind of the idea. These, a prophet of long ago would have been of a real, true, genuine prophet. But when Herod heard all this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead? And now we're going to get the story. It's a, it's an, it's a narrative device. Used by Mark, who obviously thinks this story is important, really important, because of the length of time he spends with it. His account, even though his gospel is the shortest of the four, his account of John the Baptist's death is the longest of the four. Okay, and maybe we'll talk about that when we get to the end of it, why that might be. Well, verse 17. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. And why would he do that? Because John posed a threat to the status quo. He posed a threat to the rule of Herod, to the rule of Rome. He was seen as a... Potential revolutionary, calling people out to the river, getting them all excited, getting them all worked up. And if there was one thing that Rome wanted, and Herod knew this, it was that the peace would be kept. So, Herod gives orders to have John arrested, and they had him bound and put into prison. Some, You know, they didn't have prisons like we think of now, these long term, hold hold a person for 20 years, but they had cells where they could keep them for a while, while while it was decided what what the authorities would do with them. (coughs) Which boiled down to either letting them go or off with their heads. Now, he did this, why did he do this? He did this because of Herodias. Really, truthfully. His brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. Okay. So, King Herod the Great had ten sons. Herodias, this woman, was a daughter of Archelaus, who married her uncle, Philip, another of Herod's son, okay? And then she leaves Philip, and she marries Herod the Great, another uncle, right? And then we find out that in verse 18, For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife, being against the Jewish law, against all good sense.
0: I guess Philip was still alive.
1: I think he was. He must have been, right? I believe so, yes. Well, how much do you think Herod liked being called out by John the Baptist? Not much. Not much. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him because he had put her on the spot. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. So she was ready to take Herod, take John the Baptist's head, but Herod Antipas was afraid to take John the Baptist's head. Just afraid because he's a holy man, he's a righteous man. Who wants to do that to a man of God? What's going to happen to you if you do that? The next verse is so interesting. When Herod heard John speaking, right, they would talk, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. He didn't really understand what John was going on about, but he liked to listen to him. I think that's that's pretty fascinating to me. Okay. (coughs) <coughs> one second, okay, so finally, the opportune time came on his birthday, opportune time for whom Herod, he's okay to keep John in prison. Who isn't happy with that? Herodias yes, his wife, who had married one uncle and then married another uncle. This is, this is kind of how the story of the Caesars was. So, yeah. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, interestingly, this was a Roman practice, but it was not a Jewish practice. Jews didn't celebrate birthdays. So, on his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders, and the leading men of Galilee. All the rich folk, you know, right? Right, all the proper people. Mm -hmm. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And you've seen that depicted, right? She comes in, and she's scantily clad, and she's dancing, and it's, oh yeah, he's pleased. The old geezer is, yeah, yeah. Look at her. Look at those moves. (laughs) Right? And he's really taken with her. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. I like to imagine he's past half drunk by this time. And he promised her with an oath. Oh, an oath. You know, pretty much every time I come upon an oath in the Bible, there's just trouble. There's just trouble. Saul makes an oath that seemingly is going to result in the death of his own son, though the soldiers make him, you know, not fulfill that oath. Jephthah seems to have sacrificed his daughter because of a stupid oath he took. So when it comes to oaths, Jesus got it right. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But he makes an oath. He promised her with an oath. Whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean, really. She is this young girl that he is embarrassing himself over. Because I'll I'll assume she's really pretty. And she dances
0: promiscuously.
1: Promiscuously. Really? Yeah. Yeah. You can imagine it. So he makes this ridiculous promise. How many people have made ridiculous promises in situations where they've had way too much to drink, have lost all of their sense and common sense and mind, and... It's sad. You know, it's why, I mean, <clears throat> Paul never tells people, never counsels the Christian communities to, to not ever drink alcohol. What he says is, don't get drunk. Very wise. Don't get drunk. Nothing good is going to come of that. This so is, uh,
0: another one of those crazy oaths that like I <coughs> just finished talking about in one of your other classes, it's like Jephthah. Yeah, You know, promising something that is so ridiculous, so without thought, but the words have already come out of his mouth.
1: And then he thinks, because it it appears to lead to the sacrificing of his own daughter. And then he thinks that because he made this stupid oath, God would want him to keep that stupid oath. Well, I made an oath to God. I must keep it. No. Not if it's an oath grounded in stupidity, or drunkenness this one i think is probably grounded in drunkenness whatever you ask i'll give you up to half my kingdom and so the girl runs and she says to her mother herodias what shall i ask for and herodias answers the head of john the baptist john the baptizer john the baptist she answered She really resents John. I mean, the girl has been offered half the kingdom. Now, probably Mother knows that she wouldn't really get half the kingdom. Um, So, Mother tells the girl, let's ask for something which we will actually get. And what I want is the head of John the Baptist she resented him he embarrassed her he called God's judgment on her for her her what her behavior well at once the girl hurried into the king with the request I want to give you I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter The girl wants the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Verse 26. The king, Herod, was greatly distressed. But because of his oaths and his dinner guests, in front of whom he had made these oaths, he did not want to refuse her. So immediately he sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head The man went out, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a platter. So, Caravaggio painted a powerful painting of John the Baptist's head on a platter. That's it. These are the the executioner. Some servants bringing, helping out, bringing John the Baptist's head on this platter. So, would it seem so awful? So, so, just so ridiculous. So, the executioner brought back John's head on a platter. He presented it to the girl and she gave it to his mother. And on hearing of this, John's disciples, and this would be John the Baptist's disciples, right? He has has a set of followers. Came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. So, it's a very long telling of the story. It could be told in a much shorter way so why do you think Mark spent so much time with this story? Contemplate that for a second. Why did he spend so much time with this story? I'm gonna get out of. I'm gonna get out of a little lozenge thingy here. Huh? Artie asked, "Did Nestor also get offered half the kingdom?" I think so, Artie. And I think it might have been on a similar occasion of utter drunkenness and stuff, yeah. But I would need to look at Esther again. I haven't been in Esther in a while. I, I've, I've taught Esther before, but I, I think so. That fits with the story of, of Esther, for sure. But why? You know, I, I think, and I agree with those who see in this story... That Mark wants to convey to the readers that there will be a cost to, to to their discipleship. That those who are part of this bringing of God's kingdom, it will not all just be up, 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 victory, roses, and all the rest of it. That there is a real, genuine cost. And of course, Jesus talked about this. He told his disciples... You have to count the cost. His disciples come to him and say, Oh, yes, yes, we'll go with you. He says, No, you won't. You don't know what you're saying. You don't really understand what this is going to cost. Paul says, Jesus, that our salvation was bought for a price. And it's an enormous price. And Jesus suffering and death on on that Friday. So, <clears throat> I think one of the one of the unfortunate trends in American Christianity in the last 50 years has been a growing emphasis only on God's victory and never talking about the cost um Famously, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was hung by the Nazis, wrote a book, and he talked about the cost of discipleship, and he talked about cheap grace. Cheap grace is the grace you imagine is poured out on you without asking anything of you. He says, no, no. Grace is anything but cheap. It's free, but it's not cheap, because we live in a world which exacts a price. And I imagine there are Christians who are shocked and not prepared when when they have to pay a price. Or they adjust their sales so much they don't even realize that they should have paid a price and are simply sailing further and further away from God and trying to avoid any cost, avoid any price. So, you know, we could go to different parts of the world today where... Christians certainly are confronted with the price that they have to pay um, to be a Christian. It, It might be with threat to their lives or their livelihood or their families. It might be being ostracized by society. It might include prison. Um... But to think that because God's victory over sin and death was won on the cross 2,000 years ago means that there was no cost of discipleship today. It's just, it's just foolish. And I think that's why Mark spends time on this story, saying, look, here's what happened to John. We're going to see what happens to Jesus. I was
0: going to say that. Is it possibly even like a foreshadowing of what's, what's to come for Jesus. Um, I right away was thinking back to, um, you know, about the birth of Jesus. And when Mary goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, we're told, we don't know exactly what it means, but John the Baptist who was in her womb actually leaped. Like he recognized in the womb, he recognized who Jesus was He in Mary's womb. And, you know, John obviously loved Jesus so much. He you know, he was like, I, I can't even clean this man's feet or tie his sandals. I'm not worthy. And then, so he, we know that he is a good God-fearing man and he is, he still dies.
1: Because and it certainly is a, like you a say, it's certainly a foreshadowing of Jesus's mm-hmm. death. At the hands of whom? At the hands of authorities mm-hmm. who have the power to inflict it. Yep. Right? Yeah. And... There's almost there's almost a comic element to this, isn't it? The comic. girl comes in dancing It's this big drunken party. He makes this crazy oath, right? That the world is so unaware and insensitive about who they're who who they're dealing with. In John the Baptizer, the one who announced, right? Remember the famous line from John's Gospel? When John sees Jesus coming down the river, he Be- 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 says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John is bound up with Jesus. And um, it, it's kind of like when Jesus is on the cross what does he say? about his executioners. Father, forgive them f- for they know not what they do. They're just, they're pathetic and they're silly and they're unserious and they don't even comprehend what they are doing when they crucify Jesus as Herod doesn't when he makes his offer and then has it carried out to, to, to execute John the baptizer. And I like the last verse, that John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. It is, um, uh, John is not resurrected. His bones are still in that tomb today, awaiting what? Awaiting the great resurrection, the resurrection that will resurrect my mother and my grandfather and Patty's mom and all those who precede us in death and will unless Jesus comes back before, you know, my days on this earth are ended, then I will be resurrected. Right? Alongside John the Baptizer, who would have laid there for 2,000 years, or more, whenever Jesus comes back, 10,000 years. 20,000 years. Um, so... Any other thoughts about that?
0: Mm. I'm just just wondering how um, you know. It doesn't really say that much about it in the Gospels, but how devastated was Jesus? We know well, how he wept with Lazarus's death, but this was just so evil and violent, and it was truly all because of him. It was because of John's faith and believe in Jesus that his he's beheaded. And um, gosh, it must have been awful.
1: But Jesus. you see, if, if in a couple of the other Gospels, the point is probably more strongly made about how much Jesus is affected by it. Oh, good. And okay. it just pleas- pleasantly says he has to go away somewhere and rest when he learns of John's execution. What's fascinating in Mark is, we learn of John's execution and the story of it after, the, after it had happened. Yes. because the disciples have gone out two by two, come back, heard hears about all the activity, and now he wonders if that fella whose head he took has now been resurrected, been raised from the dead. Remember that the Jews of Jesus' day believed that one day, indeed, God would resurrect his people. And... <coughs> <coughs> so, anyway.
0: Well, if he believed... Okay, let's just say for one second that that's what he was, you know, he maybe he was thinking. Of course, it says that's what he was thinking. Um, would that be, then, that Herod is... Um, Kind of wondering now if he actually um, beheaded the pff, beheaded somebody
1: him. he should not have beheaded. Yes. This holy it's and really, righteous man yes. who he couldn't even tell you why he wanted to talk with him, but he enjoyed talking with him.
0: Could he have been the Messiah? Oh, well. Could he have been Gosh, the Messiah? He doesn't say
1: it explicitly, but no. you do wonder, and right? Now,
0: for him to even think. That he could be, you know, resurrected. What well, what does that actually mean to him?
1: I don't know. Good thought, Betty. Okay, so <clears throat> so now we're going to return to the disciples. In verse thirty, notice how they're called the apostles now. People get a little confused sometimes about this disciple-apostle stuff. A disciple is simply someone who is an apprentice to the master. Apprentice is a perfectly good synonym. I think maybe one of the best. A synonym to the master, synonym to the... an An apprentice to the master, an apprentice to the teacher. Apostle has a particular meaning. Apostle in Greek means one who is sent forth. So the disciples have been apostles. Why? Because Jesus has sent them forth two by two. So it isn't like, you know, there's some official time that they get, like new business cards or something. It's the role that they will play will change. And right now, they're playing, when they go out two by two, they're playing the role that will be fully theirs after Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit will come upon them and Jesus charges them, right? He asked before Pentecost, but He charges them with going out into the world and being in His witnesses and making disciples and baptizing and all that stuff that He does at the end of Matthew and, and in Acts 1. Well... So they have been acting. They have been doing what apostles do, which makes them what apostles. <laughs> the apostles gathered around Jesus, and they reported to him all they had done, and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, just this big, there's always this press of people. I remember one time I went down to the State Fair, so years and years ago, it's before Patty, went down to the State Fair and it was so busy and so packed. And the press of people was just, for me, it was very uncomfortable. I didn't like it at all. And now these people, many of whom you know are desperate. Um, The world of medicine had nothing to offer most people in this world. They come to Jesus for hope, for healing, and they press. Because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I see Hull is taking mercy on me here.
0: He is so sweet. So talk
1: amongst yourselves for one second.
0: All righty, what oh, are we gonna oh, talk amongst ourselves about? <laughs> yeah, he is taking uh, some over-the-counter stuff kind of around the clock, and today he actually woke up and truly does feel better. This is much better than it was late yesterday. It was uh, kind of a coughing fest around here, but.
1: Pap, I sound like I'm better, don't I, Pat? You
0: sound so much better, Scott.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: Pat, he
1: called me. Pat. Did I call you Pat?
0: <laughs> That's what uh, it printed out underneath, you know, the little... Huh.
1: Pat. Pat. All right. <laughs> so Jesus says, all right, guys, come with me. We're going to go someplace quieter. You need, you need rest. <laughs> we're going to find a quiet place. Okay? So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now, we are, we're not told what that solitary place is. Let me advance the slides. <laughs> it's really hard to completely reconcile in the Gospels what, where this place is. But because, as you'll see, the crowds follow them, it couldn't be that far away. So, most people think somewhere going from the northwestern shore to the northeastern shore, a fairly short trip by boat is what they're going to take okay so they went away by themselves verse 20 verse 32 they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place but many who saw them leaving recognized them there they go there they go there they and are they, there, there they are, are. Right. that's them it's them yeah exactly that's exactly what would happen you know it and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Man. That's People kind of like are moving the, so fast, they get there faster than the boat could get them there. So it's
0: like the Beatles in 1964. It is. When they came to New York. It is like they, the Beatles in
1: 1964. They, they couldn't they escape. They
0: couldn't
1: escape. Yeah. That's it exactly, Patty. God loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. Not a good day for singing. Yeah.
1: <laughs> or even to make such such a joke. Anyway, okay. Does. All right.
0: That is true. And... Yeah. Okay, did you see what Hull put in there? He said, as a Catholic, we learned that apostles were the chosen twelve and all others were disciples.
1: Disciples. Oh, is it so.
0: Disciples? Okay, yeah. I'm just I doing.
1: think that's. But that's really not right, Hull. You, it, that, that gets confusing. So. Th- Among everybody, there's this whole big crew of disciples of Jesus. Now, then there's a larger crew of people that just want to follow him around. But there are disciples, and a disciple just means apprentice. And among those who really wanted to follow the master around, there was a group called, sometimes specifically in the Gospels, the Twelve. Okay, capital T, 12. And that is the inner group of the disciples called the 12 who constituted a new Israel around Jesus because Israel had 12 tribes. And within that 12, there was an inner circle of three, Peter, James, and John, who got in on some stuff that the other ones didn't get to participate in. After Jesus' death and resurrection, the twelve, these particular twelve disciples, become called, the, they were, they're they now called the apostles. Okay, because with Jesus having returned to the Father, they are the ones who are going to have to go out and do as Jesus told them to do, be his witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and so on. And they will be given apostolic power to do that. And the power to heal. As I said, Peter raises Tabitha from the dead. They heal. Um, Paul is given that apostolic power. There's a young man who gets so bored one night listening to Paul drone on for hours and hours that he falls out of a window to the ground dead below. And Paul goes out and he is brought back to life. So, Jesus equips them to go out and spread the good news. But they're not all separate groups. So, take Peter. Peter's a disciple. He will become, we will call him an apostle because he will go from being an apprentice to Jesus to being one who was sent forth. It's what they do that causes the change in the way we talk about them. And there are other apostles in Romans 16... Paul mentions an apostle named Junia, someone who was prominent among the apostles. And Junia is a woman. And that was suppressed for a long time. And poor Junia, her name was changed to Junius in a lot of old manuscripts because... The patriarchal early church didn't like the fact that there had been somebody specifically named by Paul as an apostle. So concentrate on the on the job function and you can get the word right. The only piece of that that is different is the 12, right? So the 12 designates that there are 12 disciples Constitute a new Israel around Jesus. Okay. So. And of course, the Roman Catholics would not want to acknowledge Junia as having been an apostle. Right? That's true. Yeah. The Catholics get a lot of things right. But not everything, just as we Protestants. We Protestants get a lot of things right, but not everything. But we get more things right. (laughs) Okay. So, verse 33. Many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed, he saw the large crowd What's his reaction? It's so Jesus. He had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So, he began teaching them many things. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Um... In Ezekiel, we won't return to it, I think. We won't. But in Ezekiel 34, there's this great chapter about the shepherds of Israel. The kings were to be the good shepherds of Israel, guiding the people toward God. But instead, they were not good shepherds. And so God says in Ezekiel 34, I will be the shepherd to my people. I will be the shepherd to my people. Hundreds of years before Jesus, I will be the good shepherd to my people. So when you come to Jesus, and he says in John's gospel, I am the good shepherd, it's a direct connection to Ezekiel. This is a direct connection. They were a sheep without a shepherd because the priests, the kings, and all the leaders of Israel were not leading them in the right way. They should have been leading them in Jesus' way. But instead, we have this ever-increasing collision between Jesus and the authorities. Official and unofficial. But I just love how, you know, you can see the crowd. He probably can't believe it. He gets off the boat and he looks, Oh my gosh, they beat us here. We're tuckered out. They beat us here. But he has compassion on them. He loves them. He has compassion on them. They were like a sheep without a shepherd. And he, so he sits down or stands up, whatever it is, and he begins teaching them many things. Many things. About what, you might ask? What is he teaching them about? He's teaching them about the arrival of God's kingdom. He's talking about what it means to live in God's kingdom. How are we to live in light of the arrival of God's kingdom? That's the things he teaches. That's what his parables are about. <laughs> and much of it will, not be, will be misunderstood, but he teaches them because he loves them, because he has compassion for them. Well, by this time it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him and they said, Man, this is a remote place. And it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go back to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And he answered, Jesus answered them, "Why, well, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, oh, come on, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. So when they found out, they came back and they said, we have five loaves of bread and we have two fish. So Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. There's a lot of people there. Thousands of people are following Jesus now everywhere he goes. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the bread. This is Every righteous Jew would do this. You give, you give thanks to God before you eat. Saying grace before meals is a wonderful practice for Christians. Whether you're at home, whether you're out, if you're out, sometimes it could be a testimony to others. You don't want to make a show of it because making a show of anything is not what we're about. But, but just say grace and thank God for, for what you have in front of you to eat. So he gives thanks and he broke the loaves and he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Now if it sounds a little bit like communion, right? That leads people to ask, it like is this a holy communion type of moment? Probably not. I don't know think I don't think that's how Mark sees it. There will be in Mark a breaking of the bread later. If it were going to be that in any of the gospels, it would be in John's, because John doesn't have a breaking of the bread on the last at the last supper, only the washing of the feet. And this particular story, of all the things that Jesus does, it's only this feeding of a mul- the feeding of a multitude that you find in all four gospels. It's the only miracle, only miracle story that you find in all four Gospels. Verse 41. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate, and they were all satisfied. You know, I can't read these things without thinking of the story of the manna. And the story the story of the manna, if you don't recall it, is when, they, when the Israelites flee Exodus, not flee Exodus, they flee Egypt and they head into the wilderness and they start whining and complaining. And the first thing they complain about is the fact that they need food and they're hungry. And God says, okay, all right, all right, I'm the provider. I'm going to give you your daily bread. And so there would be this stuff called manna on the desert floor every morning, this kind of dewy, bread-like substance that they could go out and collect. And when they brought, they collected it, and when they brought it back, it says everybody had what they needed. They couldn't keep it overnight because they had to go get it the next day. It was this daily provisioning. The total emphasis was on what God was doing for them. So here, there's five loaves and two fish and thousands of people, and they're all satisfied. The loaves, it's like the baskets are, they just don't empty. Every, every time you would look, there would be loaves and fish in these baskets They're being passed around. And when they were done, verse 43, And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. So there's more than enough. God's provision is abundant. Abundant. God provides us with more than we need. And the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. So there are women and certainly children there. So maybe 15,000, 20,000 people on these hillsides. And they're fed with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Very publicly, right? This is not one of those stories where it's just a handful of people behind closed doors. Like the uh, raising of Jairus' daughter. This is very public. Everybody knew these stories. Everybody knew what had happened. And why does it show up in all four Gospels? And the only one, the one that... I think it because it is a, it, it is the enactment of the abundance of God's kingdom. They These are people who live on diets that are not enough. They don't get enough calories. They're hungry almost all the time. They don't know much about getting enough protein and all that kind of stuff. Sort of, sort of hunger is just part of their existence. But now... This meal, this, this abundance given them by Jesus is more than enough. It's more than they can handle. It, it's, like, it's, it's, just, it, it's just like they're a little hungry or a lot hungry and there's more that can satisfy whatever hunger there is. Because there's stuff left over at the end of it after every ha- everybody has been satisfied. So it um is really a remarkable story and is given I think extra attention should be because it comes to us from all four gospels and that says something that says something to me and I think to most people okay so any, any thoughts or questions from anybody? Anything from you, Patty? We're going to end it here because I don't want to get into the next story.
0: And you also need to stop
1: talking. It will be good.
0: Just in time.
1: Yeah. So, anyway. All
0: righty.
1: All righty. So, remember, no class next Monday. That's right. Memorial Day. So, in two weeks when we're here again, we're going to be back in the boat. Back in the boat. Back in the boat with the disciples. And then are going to be scared to death again. Yep. So, as they were inclined to be.
0: And I know you all know, because I mention it every week, there's always the Tuesday class, which truly, we are getting into the really good stories of David right now. We're getting uh, we're getting to the... This, second half of samuel first samuel first samuel yeah and we still have second samuel to go but these are all the great stories of king david and saul and we haven't got to like bathsheba or any of that stuff yet and um it's a really good class it we typically have 65 70 people in person and a, a number of people online so anytime you can just come in but like i said this would be a great time if you had some free time at noon on a um tuesday 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 noon to one fifteen, and otherwise we're right back here
1: in two weeks and,
0: well i mean otherwise we're right back here online tomorrow if you don't come in person yeah <laughs> anyway i hope you all have a blessed day just join me as we close in prayer Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day. And thank you, God, for this opportunity to once again come together, to come together to study your word, Lord. Thank you so much for having Scott's voice hold out for that whole hour. Um, we pray, Lord, that you would watch over us this coming week and keep us safe, Lord, and help us to, um, help us to stop and think about you through the day. It, it's as simple as just saying grace, Lord, before a meal. That alone gets us three extra little prayers with you. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We pray you'll bring us all back together safely in two weeks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Else, everybody.